Good morning, church family. I'm Pastor Janine Smith. Let's play a little game. What do these things have in common? Tacos, the land in Scotland, the people of Haiti, and the ocean shores out at Malibu. Let's add a few more. How about Christmas lights, espresso, my husband, and the God that rescued me. It's a pretty big list, and you've probably guessed it. They're all things I've said I love. Things I've loved. Yet when I use that word love, and I'm talking about tacos and my husband, you get a sense that there's a little bit of a difference going on, maybe a difference in intensity. I've been thinking about all those things. Maybe some of those are things you love, or maybe there's other things that you'd say, I love. When I look at all those things, I'm noticing some themes. I'm noticing some similarities. All those things are things I want to be with. I want to, if it's a person, I want to be with it. If it's a food, I want to partake of it. All those things are things I delight in and give me joy. And all of those things are things I'm willing to sacrifice for. I'm willing to work to have in my life. So you see some themes, delight, joy, connection, presence, work, sacrifice, priority. So when I'm defining love today, love is the things we're passionate about, the things we want to have presence with, and the things we're willing to prioritize. Passion, presence, priority. And especially today, we're going to be talking about presence. We're starting today a new series in the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking very specifically at some of the scripture passages that talk about love. And we're going to find over the next several weeks leading up to Easter is Jesus is all about love. Love is the motivation for Jesus. Love is the method of Jesus. Love is the mark of Jesus. We'll see all that in the scripture. So as we're taking a look, I want to give you two things you can do over the next several weeks that kind of help you dive into this past, this series more intentionally. The first one, go to BibleGateway.com, type in love, and look at all the passages of love in the Gospel of John. You're going to see that this story about Jesus is all about love. And you're going to see the deeper meanings behind love. The other thing I want you to do is I want you to go to the Lake Avenue website. And I want you to type in 40 days of love. You pull that up. And we've got things for you to do, prayer prompts and practical things for you to express love. This coming week, one of the prayer prompts is to create an emergency kit so that you are ready to give it when you encounter someone experiencing homelessness. Or put on gloves, go out in the neighborhood and pick up trash. One day is devoted to thinking about how you use your words in a conversation to listen without interrupting or to ask questions without judgment. So really practical ways that you can experience this love. And you already know the scripture that we're doing today is John 3.16. And I'm partnering with Pastor Matthew John on this passage. And separately, 
we each got together with the scripture by ourselves and we came up with the exact same thing we want to share with you. And you know why that is. That's because we weren't doing it separately. We were both doing it with the spirit of the Lord. And that gives me cause for great excitement. This isn't a coincidence that Matthew, John and I thought of the same thing. No, this is exactly what the, the Lord wants us to all hear today. So as I'm saying this passage, this John 3.16, because it's so popular, because likely you memorized it at some point in your spiritual journey, because you've heard it so many times, Billy Graham used it to witness to tens of thousands, such a popular passage. I don't want you to just hear it. I want you to say it out loud right with me, okay? And then right afterwards, we'll have Pastor Matthew John lead us. So join me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. This is the word of the Lord. And we all say, thanks be to God. There is only one woman I have ever dated, who is obviously my wife. But the strange thing is that we started dating after we got married. Unlike the normal people who would date before marriage to know if they should get married at all. Uh, this is a strange system of what we call arranged marriage. I know you want to hear all about it, uh, but <laughs> it is another sermon for another day. The reason I'm saying this is because, you know, whenever a couple go on a date, since I haven't had that experience, I'm intensely curious about what they are thinking, what they are looking or what they are expecting from the other, right? And quite often I ask them, especially my female friends, you know, how do you know or when do you know the guy actually loves you? Whether he has to really say that he loves you or he has to, I don't know, do some romantic gestures like uh, write a song or write a poetry or serenade you in, in a love song and when and how you know that the guy loves you? And the answer is almost always the same. They always say that we know that he loves me when he picks up the check. Because the best possible manifestation or expression of love is not writing a song, is not singing a, a, a song, or saying that they love you, which is all important, but loving is giving. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. 
and we are so eager to jump into the next part because it is all about salvation. But we had to pause there for a moment. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. Loving is giving. I'll say that one more time. Loving is giving. Did you know that the Bible is the only religious text which says the popular phrase, God is love. I'm sure you heard about that, right? Like, you know, God is love. We know that right from the Sunday school. And we know that from Hallmark cards. And we know that from bumper stickers. And every person I know, irrespective of the religious affiliation or political affiliation, they always use that phrase because it has become such a cliche in our popular culture. God is love. But did you know that the Bible is the only sacred text which says that? Particularly the New Testament. It comes from 1 John 4, 8, and then again it's repeated in 16, I believe. The reason I'm saying this is, why, why that particular, that phrase is not found in, in other religious texts or in other religions or other conceptions of God in exactly the same way? I'll tell you why. Because love is a loaded term, right? The moment you use the L word in a relationship, you know that it is going to a step in which you have to be vulnerable. That's why people hesitate to say the L word as, you know, people say that. Because the moment you choose to love somebody, you are opening up the possibility of being affected by the object of your love. There is a possibility of rejection. There is a possibility of hurt. A genuine love cannot exist at least without the possibility of suffering. And that's why we have another axiomatic phrase in our culture which says love hurts or love suffers, right? Because the moment you choose to love somebody, you choose to suffer for that person or suffer because of that person. Now, because suffering and love are so intricately connected, we know that in the theologies of any religion, we don't associate God and suffering. Because God in most religions is the antithesis of suffering. So God cannot love. They may say God is loving. That is very different from God is love. For example, I can say that I am a very loving person. I love my family. I love my friends. I love you. But if you do something that I don't approve of, if you, think, if you say something that I don't like, I can unlove you just the way that I can unfriend you on Facebook or something like that. Because I am loving, but I am not love. Because if I am love, then I'm not talking about it as an adjective. 
It is in the fundamental essence of my being. When I am love, I cannot not love. Does that make sense? If I am truly love, then I cannot unlove somebody. Now that is the problem. If God is loving, that's fine. He can be merciful. He can be compassionate. We can do all these things without being affected by the other person. A merciful person can be a patronizing person. You know, we can be compassionate in the way like a benevolent dictator could be compassionate. But when you say love, then again, you have to love even the unlovable. That is the problem. If God is love, he cannot not love. Which means that if God is love, he is intrinsically connected to suffering or suffering is at the core of his being. And that no religion, including the so-called Christian religion, cannot conceive. See, this is the predicament of God that brought us to the mystery of the cross. Now, this Lent season is about so many different things, but ultimately, it is about the cross of Jesus Christ. Starting from Ash Wednesday, we are going to reflect on, meditate on the cross of Christ, which is the epitome of all Christian virtues. Now, it is on the cross you see the, the, the dilemma of God, because God is love, he has to love the object of his wrath. That is why the cross became necessary. Because on the cross of Christ, you see God's love embraces what his law condemns. His grace accepts what his holiness rejects. Now that is the paradox of the cross. Only the Christian God can say God is love because only the Christian God has ended up on the cross because cross is the essence of suffering and cross is at the heart, at the core of love. So, I want you to know that the God we worship is the one who chose to love to the point of being rejected. He chose to love to the point of being crucified because love is in its very essence. And I'm going to conclude with a little story I know from India. The story comes from one of the Indian texts, sacred text. This is the story of a holy man in India or a sage in India. He was, take, he was bathing in a river and then he saw a scorpion drowning in the water. And the sage just got out of the water after bathing. Then he leaned over, he grabbed the scorpion so that he can, hoping that he can save the scorpion. But the moment the sage touched the scorpion, it stung the stage, the sage. And he, he withdrew his hand and the scorpion started drowning again. But then sage again leaned over and grabbed the scorpion so that he can save it. 
but the scorpion stung him again. And this happened again and again, and the sage was writhing in pain, and the venom of the scorpion was going through his vein, and, but he still started trying to help the scorpion. So on the other side of the river, there is a fisherman watching all this, and he said, hey, sage, what is wrong with you? How can you save, try to save this ugly, ungrateful creature? Let it drown. It is not worth saving. It is in its nature to sting, so don't try to save it. So the sage looked at the fisherman and said, yes, you are right. It is in a scorpion's nature to sting, but it is in a sage's nature to save. Just like the scorpion cannot change its nature, a sage also cannot sage cannot also escape from his nature. It is in a scorpion's nature to sting, but it is in a sage's nature to stay save. That is exactly what happened on the cross. As ugly and ungrateful as I am, as Evil to the core, my nature is. God on the cross was not just a merciful God. God on the cross was just a compassionate God. God on the cross was not just a loving God. God on the cross was love. So he kept on reaching out to me. And that is the mystery of the cross. As we are approaching this season of Lent, Whoever is listening to me, I don't know where you are. I don't know who you are. But if you haven't experienced the fullness of this cross, what happened on the cross, what, what that means to you, this is your moment. And somebody loves you to the extent of being rejected by your love. And somebody rejected to the extent to the extent of being crucified for you. Would you take a moment in gratitude, accepting that love which is freely offered to you on the cross? And if you are a Christian, if you have already accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and I want you to know that everything you do in your Christian life let the shadow of the cross invade everything you do. Because, you know, I see a disturbing tendency in the, in the evangelical circle in general. You know, we change the equation from God is love to love is God. That is very different. That is not what we are talking about at all. Love is not God. Love is just a manifestation of God. Always remember that for God so loved the world that he gave. The only thing I can give you is the one who is given to me. That is the one hanging on the cross. May the Lord be with you. And I'm going to ask Janine to come and lead us uh, in the rest of the service. God bless. Thank you, Pastor Matthew. God loved, so God gave and sacrificed. Who was the object of God's love? The whole world. 
sometimes we're not so sure if we want it to be the whole world, but it indeed definitely was for God. We can even see that in 2 Peter 3, 9, when it says God's will, his pursuit, his passion, is that nobody would perish and that everyone would come to repentance. That's what God wants to have happen. So that's the work of God out there to make happen. God is at work in all corners of our globe to bring everyone to repentance. And God loves everyone. And part of, as Matthew said, God's rescue plan for humanity was to come and be with us and to die on the cross. And that was risky, not just the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross or the sacrifice to be with us, but the sacrifice of offering something so great and not knowing if it's gonna be returned. Would we receive God's love? There's great risk by God to love us in such a way and not know if we'll love him back. And all good rescue plans involve risk. We know this from books and TVs. Rescue requires risk. And if we're gonna participate with God in the rescue plan, then we too have to be willing to risk. Rescue requires risk. And there are two ways that I wanna talk about that we can risk among many. Today, one is ladders and the other is bridges. So we'll start with ladders. Ladders, the way we can go from one to another, connecting us with different people. Ladders are a way we can show empathy and empathy is key. Empathy is that magic ingredient we're often missing in our pursuit of unity with one another. We can hear our culture crying for unity, whether it's for the family or for the church or for our nation. But often unity looks like, I'm certain I'm right. And if I just talk to you long enough and loud enough, you'll come and agree with me. And if you don't agree with me, well, then you're not really one of us, so I don't really have to be united with you. You can see how that's not real unity, but empathy, empathy will help us get to unity and help us express love and help us be part of this rescue plan to share the good news. So I have a two minute video I want you to watch. It's worth every second in helping us grow in our ability to have empathy. This video is from Brené Brown. She is a leading researcher and professor at the University of Houston. Um, and here it is now. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's, a, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space 
when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, you want a sandwich? <laughs> um, empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Empathy. Going, doing, being with, risking, sacrificing for. Did you see that in the video? It's worth watching the video again at a later time. You can go to YouTube, Brené Brown, Brené spelled B-R-E-N-E, -E, on empathy to watch it again and to say, where, where have I been, the fox? Who's been really helpful to me? When have I messed up and been like the antelope? When it, and how can I grow to be more like the bear? Um, this empathy growth will help us in being good news spreaders. But today I want you to know, think again about the video. Did you see the empathy of God in that video? Did you see the picture of us as the fox in the dark, uncertain, scared, alone, sad? And the way that the bear came down to be with. Now that's not the full story of the gospel. And Matthew John kept it going and told us how the, it, God didn't just come to be with us, to be sad along with us. God also went to the cross for us and paved a way back for us. There's more. But we see that picture of God coming to be with us. And that is sustaining for us right through to Revelation. In the, in the end, in chapter 21, we see that God is so close and so near to us that God wipes away our tears. God has come to be with us. We see that model in Philippians 2, 5 and 8, that it says that Jesus, not grasping the superiority of God, came to grasp us to love us, to be a suffering servant with us. And then that scripture says, we're to go and do likewise. We're to have that level of empathy. If you wanna help someone in suffering, 
you're gonna need to be with them before that. You're gonna need to build friendship. Rarely when we're in suffering, do we wanna bring strangers in to help us. And not only that, if we're strangers to someone, it's hard for us to even know that they're suffering or what they really need. So we have to back up. We can't just wait, oh, they're in suffering. I'm gonna go be with them. No, we've gotta say, I need to be friends with these people. Now I need to pursue that intentionally prioritizing that. And so that's why I wanna take this ladder and drop it and make it a bridge. When we're talking about God, it's absolutely a ladder that God came down to be with us. But the hierarchy needs to get leveled when we're talking about one another and having that bridge. And the bridge building is the everyday work of our lives. That's what we need to be all about in so many different ways. We need to be the bridge. We need to build the bridge, use the bridge. And there are a lot of ways. I want to talk about truth because I want to build on what Pastor Jeff said last week. And there are two ways that we can do bridge building that are really important. It's truth seeking and truth telling. So when it comes to truth seeking, we have to ruthlessly Pursue truth all out there and in unexpected places and not let the prejudice that we have about where we're going to find truth bubble up. Because remember, God is at work throughout the globe and we should expect to see the handprint of God in unusual places. And that will look like truth. That will look like light shining through the cracks. So we'll pursue this truth relentlessly. And we see that example in, throughout scripture, the way the scripture tells the story of who God is often uses the imagery of whatever culture we're dealing with. And you can really see it in the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts and especially Acts 17. We look and pursue truth in different places. We learn that truth and then we can share the gospel better. That's partially why I wanted to show that video for you. I want you to grow in empathy, but I also wanted you to have a really practical example of something that is not overtly Christian, does not talk about God at all, is part of the academia even, and yet a piece of the good news story is right there. You saw the same as Pastor Matthew told a story from um, his own culture and a significant piece of the good news story is right there. And so we have to look for truth in different contexts. But we also, as truth seekers, need to be aware of what's wrong and call out that truth as well. Blind optimism, unchecked loyalty does not serve the rescue plan of God for others. The world can suss out when we have not been true. They know when we're giving a free pass to things that should be called out. So we need, that includes Christians, Christian leaders, Christian organizations. We need not to be afraid to say, hey, that's not okay. We need to seek out the truth, right or wrong, and be able to claim it. Uh, Frederick Douglass, um, a born a slave, learned to read with the scriptures, taught other slaves to learn to read with the scriptures, became actually a U.S. ambassador to Haiti, 
and also a significant advisor to several presidents. And he said something that I think is kind of perfect for this idea of truth seeking. He says, I will unite with anybody to do right and with nobody to do wrong. That essentially, we line ourselves up with God and God's truth, and then we can go throughout the globe, and whether it's an overtly Christian thing or not, we can do good in that place. And that is how we can build that friendship so that we can share the good news. One of the temptations of Christians is to often be a truth teller before we've been a truth seeker. We have to seek the truth first. Um, And let me give you this analogy to help you. Say I am over here in this beautiful green pasture. It's lush and has flowers, it's wonderful. And there's the light from the sunshine, light often an analogy for God, coming down and all over, almost like the light of the, the lights in here beaming down on me. Yay, there's light. And I can kind of see over in the distance, there's a bridge and I can hear someone off far away yelling, I can't see, I can't see, it's dark, I don't know. And I'm like, it's gray over here. Well, I can't see, I can't get there. And I'm like, well, just look up. You can see the light, it'll show you the bridge. I can't see, they yell. And you're like, you just keep yelling louder and longer. Look up, look up to your perspective. When, if I had taken the bridge across, I would see this person is covered over by a great blanket, almost like a tent. And every time I yell, the light's up, they look up, but it's all dark. All they see is black. My words, which are true, ultimately the light comes from above, but they're also not fully true to their context, right? I need to say, oh, you need to get down on your hands and knees. You need to crawl straight. And when you feel the edge, you need to lift up the curtain because the light for you is coming from below. But we can't, we can't know that I need to go across that bridge. I need to be a truth seeker to what is true to their context in order to tell the ultimate truth. And notice I had to go to do that. Matthew 28, we have to go. We can't say, hey, come join us. It's great over here. They won't get it. We have to go and we have to be truth seekers first and then we can tell the ultimate truth. If you're looking to learn a little bit more about that, that process of being the bridge, there's a great book called Be the Bridge. It's by Latasha Morrison. And if you don't have um, women of color in your library, Christian women of color, if you're not learning from them, this is a great book to start. So finally, when we come to this place where we're like, yeah, I wanna be present with people. I wanna do as God did. I wanna love like God loved. We often think, okay, Lord, who am I passionate about? That's who I should go and be present with, right? That's who I should prioritize. But as Christians, that model won't work because we're never gonna be passionate about things that we haven't had presence with. 
And so if we keep insular in our own smaller groups, we won't be able to expand out and spread the good news. You have to have presence and it has to be sustained by making a priority. That is the place where our passion gets birthed. That's why the 40 Days of Love campaign is so important because it will force you to get outside of the bubble that you have that you normally love and love some different people, different generations, different races, different people going through different things. And by having that presence, it's just the very beginning, but it is the beginning of making priorities that that will become the place where your passion is birthed, your passion to love others as God has loved us. Amen? Amen.